If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, everybody. This is Dennis Wynn, the friendly sidekick of Mr. Dorian Cook, and welcome once again to All American Mode Heroes and Hostiles. Excuse me, Dennis. It's not All America, it's All Metal. Oh, what did I say? All American. Well, that's all right. We'll be talking about Jim Bowie before you know it. So, (laughs) (laughs) All Metal Mode. I I don't know what's wrong with my head today. Anyway, welcome, everyone. uh, Like, say hi to all our uh, friends out there in the metal detecting world and hey dorian how's everything going for your world uh looking up today we got a nice sunny day and temperatures in the high 40s uh, for a change which has been a lot warmer than it's been oh man well down here in, in texas we're at about 50 degrees and been pretty clear today had a little bit of rain this morning light but it was not bad day at all so Anyway, uh, folks, tonight uh, we're sponsored once again by good old PredatorTools.com. I'm amazed I didn't say PredatorBoon.com the way things have been going so far. <laughs> PredatorTools.com. Uh, give George and Pam Leshy a, a phone call at 856-455-3790. You can also go to PredatorTools.com or email them at sales at PredatorTools.com. Fine tools right there. And uh, so anyway, brother, let's uh, say hi to everybody out there again. And, and uh, Dorian, what are we talking about tonight? Well, we're going to start our uh, Series 2 of Heroes and Hostels tonight. Uh, couldn't come up with a significant guest for this program, so we're just going to go into it a week early. And uh, got plenty of uh, exciting material to cover. Well, you, you can be host and guest, and there you go. You got enough experience, so. Man, I was wondering, everybody's late getting on here. Hey, Bill. Hey, Scotty. 
Hey, Swamp Fox. Man, I'll tell you what. Pretty cool. So we're going to talk about heroes and, and hostiles again. We have a one. I love the, the guy that, that we're going to talk about. And I know you've got an interesting take on him. So who is he again? You can just reveal that. I know they've probably seen him. But tell the audience who we're talking about. Uh, okay. Well, most of the people will know from the banner. Uh, we're going to be talking about Daniel Boone. Uh, I asked an intriguing question on the banner. Was Daniel Boone a pioneer or a prospector? Uh, we're going to reveal uh, going to reveal some very little known information about Daniel Boone and what was going on on the on the frontier that we have not covered at all yet. So. That's pretty cool. I like that. So I uh, hope everybody's had a, a great week so far, and uh, I know it has certainly been adventurous here. I, I was telling Dorian just a few minutes before we came on the air that uh, I managed to get out yesterday and on a ranch and uh, didn't find a lot of stuff. We were hunting a spring, actually, uh, right by an old campsite and found some fire-burned uh, stones and, and rocks and things of that nature, but we did not find much. We found a few pieces of uh, tin here and there, which is a little bit different, I think, and, and uh, I was actually hoping to find evidence that... that uh, more people had been there, and I'm sure that they had, but you know how that goes. Uh, you got to do the legwork to make sure that uh, you get the right area on somewhere like that. And then next week, I think we're going to be doing a stage stop uh, that, to my knowledge, has never been hunted. So that one ought to produce some. If so, I'll throw up some pictures in, uh, on uh, all metal mode, not all American mode, all metal mode, and uh, get that done. So, um, anyway, brother, uh, I guess that uh, we should just start out and welcome everybody again and just let's take That's it right. off. Right. Uh, I, I just heard the ping. That's not possible. Yeah, well, it. <laughs> I heard it too. I'm, I've got the Ethernet connected, but we're sure to be going, so. Oh, uh, don't tell me that old bugaboo's back to haunt us again. Well, the, I'm connected by Ethernet cord, so yeah. I'm, but there again, it it went weird a minute ago. Yeah, I did exactly what it did when we were having all that trouble before. Yeah. Well, we'll well. we'll go with it and see what happens. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my connection's solid. You know, I'm Ethernet here, hooked up on the on, and a new computer, new laptop. So, uh, hopefully that'll take care of my issues um, alright sir well um, are we ready to get going you got anything else you want to oh I, I could share so much of these folks but you know it, it's another time another place I, I want to hear about Daniel Boone okay well we're gonna we're, we're gonna be uh, doing a lot of stuff on Daniel Boone in this series we gave uh, Simon Kenton a lot of attention in series one and uh, we are going to give some attention to Daniel Boone. Uh, and like I said, I've got some stories about him, about his life, things that very few people know. And uh, I think you'll find them very revealing, very amazing. Uh, it's an interesting time in history. You know, we're, we're certainly talking about history, the history of our country. And the history of our country is being made right now. You know, here we are on the... Uh, Eve of a 
of a new uh, administration, new government uh, that is promising radical changes to what we've been used to. And uh, this has been going on for thousands of years uh, around the world and nations, this kind of thing. Um, but uh, there's some amazing parallels uh, that occurred on, on in the history of the Kentucky frontier uh, that that are so close to things that we're seeing in our society today. And uh, I want to kind of show you some of these things tonight uh, because they're very important. Uh, you know, you've heard it quoted before. You've heard me talk about those that fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. Well, our country actually is in the middle of repeating some of these lessons of history. And uh, I want to show you um, how things were done that are not a part of official history on the frontier uh, and what was going on behind the scenes, so to speak. Uh, this was never covered on Walt Disney when he did his series on Daniel Boone, folks. Uh, this has been, you know, more or less erased from official history. But uh, we're not going to let them erase it. Uh, you know, I call our regulars the historical, historical, excuse me, historical militia, because the militia was called up in times of trouble, and they were the, uh, they were the you know, the the one big hope of defense uh, for the frontiersmen, I mean, for the settlers, uh, was the militia. And uh, our militia, our historical militia, our listeners that have been with us through the whole series and some of the other series like Quantrill and the, and the KGC and so on, uh, they are showing by their continued, or you all are showing by your continued uh, presence here with us on the podcast that you're interested in truth in history and if you're interested in truth in history then I know you're interested in truth in the history being made today and I think uh, if we took a poll probably nearly every hand would go up about how we all have doubts about the um, the truth that we're getting from the major news media, both uh, you know online and um, the big networks as well, I think we all have a deep, deep-seated sense, rather, of feeling like we're being lied to, we're not being told all the truth, that somebody has a private agenda that they're trying to shove down our throats. Well, guess what, folks? That same thing was going on on the Kentucky frontier. I want to show it to you here. Uh, and I and I hope that it will make you uh, harder to deceive, harder to fool, because an informed American public that's not easily deceived is a formal adversary to any evil that anyone may try to perpetrate upon our country. But when we go along to get along, we don't question, we don't dig, we just accept. Well, there's a verse in the good book, Dennis, that kind of sums it up. It says, to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are. And that word, servants, I looked it up. 
you know, in, in the Greek and, and the Hebrew, and it's it means slave, bond slave. Bond slave, there yeah. Are, there are many forms of slavery. Bonds means bondage, as in shackles, uh, you know, handcuffs upon your wrist. Uh, if you have handcuffs up on your wrist, you are in bondage. If you're shackled to a you know, big metal ring and a stone wall in somebody's dungeon, you're in bondage. So a bond slave is someone who is in bondage, and they are not free to make their own decisions. And I want to show you how economic slavery is one of the most restrictive of all types of slavery. Any, anybody who thinks that slavery was done away with in the Civil War is naive at best. Folks, slavery has been a way of life in this world for thousands of years, and it comes in uh, several different forms. And right now, uh, there are bonds or shackles uh, that are trying to be put on us. Our minds, they're attempting to shackle our minds and our ability to think and express ourselves. So there may come a time in the future when a podcast like this may not be allowed. And it may be sooner than we think. But tonight it is, and so we're going to proceed, um, and we're going to get into Series 2 of Heroes and Hostiles. Um, our subtitles were Hope versus Illusion, of course, and Daniel Boone, uh, Pioneer or Prospector. Uh, now, we've picked up some new listeners that haven't really heard all of the parts of Series 1, so I want to go over a little bit of review for them, and I also want to remind those who were with us through that series of a, a couple of things before we get into the story. I've got a lot of exciting stories. You're going to meet heroes that you never heard of uh, who did amazing things on the frontier, just like we, we saw in Series 1. Uh, this series will not be any less uh, dramatic. Uh, we're going to get into something else, though. We're going to get into treasure. We're going to get into lost silver mines and hidden caches of, of rare coins because they're part of the history of the frontier. And uh, I'm going to be revealing uh, more information and details on one of the most famous uh, treasure stories in the history of the United States, the, the famous John Swift silver mines. We're going to be talking just a little about that, I think, tonight. And uh, later on in the series, we're going to get into that in detail because I've had the privilege of uh, actually finding the site of John Swift's lost silver mines. Uh, he had two groups. Uh, his, six, uh, his richest ones were a group of six, and I found that it took me 20 years, but I found the area, and I found four of the silver mines so far. Uh, can't do anything with them. There's still much silver in them, but you can't do anything because they're in a national forest. Uh, government doesn't allow any kind of mining or anything. So anyway, I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, but let's get into hope versus illusion because it is the foundation on which we're going to build all of these stories and all of the history that occurred on the frontier. Uh, as, as the 1700s uh, 
arrived, there was a real lack of religious freedom in the European countries, uh, France, England, and so on over there. And it was a factor for many uh, who decided to leave the land of their birth. And I say many, these people almost were exclusively in what, what was called the peasant class. Now, sadly, we have a lot of people in this country that are in the peasant class. We just don't call it that. Uh, without a government check, they could not survive. And I'm not referring to Social Security. Uh, I get angry when somebody calls Social Security an entitlement program. It is not an entitlement program. We who uh, get Social Security benefits, all we're doing is getting a small portion of our own money that we paid into the Social Security system back. And they're giving it back to us uh, at a time when its value is one-tenth uh, of what it was when we paid into it. So please, if anybody thinks that Social Security is a, a handout or a welfare program, it is not. Those, those of us on Social Security earned every penny that we're getting. Uh, and we'll never get out the value of what we paid in. So basically, uh, we got kind of ripped off by the government on that too. Anyway, getting back to Europe, from which most of the people who uh, populate the United States, uh, their origins go back to Europe. Scotland, Ireland, uh, Scandinavia, you know, Norway, uh, Sweden, Denmark, uh, of course, England, and, and, and so on. And also Germany. Uh, an interesting thing about, though, our German immigrants, uh, we have a lot of dark-haired people coming from Germany who trace their ancestry back to Germany. But they generally don't trace far enough or they would know that uh, the Germans, which who are originally blonde-haired people... It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Germans captured a lot of Celtic people, and they took them as slaves, just like uh, you know the black slaves were brought to this country. The Celts, uh, a lot of our our ancestors, these are the people that became the Irish and the Scotch. Uh, they were taken to Germany, and a majority were settled around the Palatine region of Germany, uh, and so they uh, eventually immigrated to this country. Uh, got their freedom from the slavery that they started out in as the generations went by. And uh, a lot of these people today that think they are German, uh, they are, you might say, by country in descent, but they are not German in origin. They are Celtic in origin. The the brown-haired, dark-haired people that come out of Germany are generally not descended from the original Germans, but rather from the Celts. So there are exceptions to the rule. I'm just giving you, you know, kind of a general uh, idea. And uh, just like the black people lost their African names when they came to this country, and they took up the names, a lot of them took up the names of the people who owned them. Um, you know, and so the same thing happened with the Celtic slaves in Germany. They lost their Celtic names and they took up German names, uh, a lot of times related to the families that they served as slaves. Anyway, the peasant class uh, in Europe found themselves constantly being pressured to accept the religion of whoever was in power in their particular area. And failure to comply could result in serious persecution That included the loss of your land and your house and even even violent death. So the stories that were brought back to the poor of Europe by sailors, soldiers, and others who had traveled to this country, well, they gave back to these very oppressed people something precious that their oppression had caused to be long lost. It was the very sustainer of life. We call it hope. So this is the hope part of my title for this part of the uh, show, uh, Hope versus Illusion. We're going to get into the illusion here. So the bulk of, of these poor came from Scotland, Ireland, England, but also from Holland, Germany, and Scandinavia, as I mentioned, other countries as well. Uh, The French and the Spanish were already here, and they had explored, traded, and settled in various places in the United States since the 1500s. And other more ancient people, such as the Vikings, the Phoenicians, the Israelites, the Welsh, and the Irish, excuse me, the Irish Druids, 
had also come, lived, and died in, and left what would one day be called Kentucky. Columbus, if the truth be told, was merely a latecomer. Um, and I might mention to you, without being able to give you the tons of proof that I have, the Vikings, and I have seen the Viking runes carved in rocks here in Kentucky with my own eyes. I've touched them, uh, and they are real, uh, and they are absolute proof that the Vikings were here long before Columbus. The Vikings are descended from the ancient tribe of Israel called Benjamin, and uh, they uh, settled in the highlands of Scotland. The Vikings were a red-haired uh, or reddish-blonde people. Both the men and the women were big on the average. Women off, off running averaging 6'2 in height, and the uh, men anywhere from 6'4 to 7 foot, or a little above that in height. Uh, they were big people. They were strong on courage. They uh, did not fear uh, superior odds at all. Uh, the Viking, a Viking warrior would, would, would tackle 10, take on 10 opponents. Uh, they just were not, that was their, their talent, their gift that you might say that, that they had. Uh, so the Vikings were in here and I mentioned the Phoenicians and the Israelites. Well, the Phoenicians, uh, were in the employ of King Solomon of Israel and they were ocean going people already. They crossed the ocean in 1000 BC and they came to this uh, this country uh, to look for, procure gold, silver, and copper for King Solomon. And so a lot of King Solomon's wealth actually came from this country. A lot of his silver came from the Kentucky silver mines that we're going to be talking about later. Uh, the Welsh are also descended from the tribe of Levi of Israel, the uh, people of Wales. Not every person in Wales, of course, but a majority of the people uh, come from a particular uh, Levite family. Uh, uh, they are descended from a man called Asaph, and Asaph was one of the people, two people, David and Asaph wrote the Psalms in the Bible. Um, and the Irish are today uh, composed basically of at least five of the uh, ancient lost tribes of Israel. Uh, a lot of these people who have thought all their life, they've been taught and told they were Gentiles. They're not Gentiles at all. They're actually true uh, descendants of, of Israel or Jacob in the Bible. Anyway, that is the history. It is true history. I have researched it for 30 years. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get it written, but uh, I could write a big, thick book on all of the proof and all of the trails I've followed. Uh, I've made trips over to Scotland to uh, to research and so on. The um, uh, the European peasants in, in all their different forms or origins, they arrived in the second half of the 1700s uh, in mass. There were a few in here fairly early uh, they start popping up on the radar screen about 1740, but the uh, immigration really gets going around 1760, as do the you know Indian Wars because of the increased numbers of settlers arriving. Um, these people had little in the way of money or possessions. 
And so they often sought work in what passed for the big cities of that time in the 13 settled colonies that would later become, of course, the nucleus of the United States of America. The fact that they did find religious freedom upon their arrival here fueled their hopes and dreams of the good life that appeared to be now within their grasp. And I might mention that as they found religious freedom here, religious freedom is starting to dry up and disappear in this country. There are school systems in this country that will expel a child if he actually mentions the name of Jesus Christ, and yet that child, same child can, can refer to Buddha or Muhammad with no penalty at all. So we're coming into a time when religious freedom is going to be at a premium uh, and there's going to be more persecution and oppression. Uh, history runs in cycles. And uh, rights that are not vigorously defended are lost as time goes by. And that's what's happened to us. Uh, they begin picking away at our rights and we pretty much meekly sit back and let them do it. Before 9-11, the government could not send the boys in black Kevlar to your house, take you out in handcuffs or zip ties, throw you in the back of a Suburban, and take you to an undisclosed location and hold you without charges and hold you without letting you communicate with anyone and not tell your family where you are. That wasn't possible in this country. But we agreed to that because we thought we had to do that to be safe from terrorists. The question is, who are the real terrorists? I think that's a pretty terrorizing thing if you're picked up and taken away to an undisclosed location and held indefinitely without any charges being placed against you. Well, in the beginning of a nation, see, freedoms are there because freedom attracts settlers. It attracts people. And there are people with hidden agendas, as we're going to see, that want those settlers to come because they have designs on something that they're going to to not be able to get their hands on without using these poor in their, to actually fulfill their secret agendas. I want to show you how it happened then, and I hope you will see the parallels of how it is happening now. The peasants, as they got into the economy, you know, and got jobs, uh, they didn't have any trouble really getting jobs. Uh, they quickly found them because the economy was booming in America at that time. But that being said, they quickly discovered that the system of commerce in the American big cities 
like New York and Boston was little different than what they had left behind them in the countries of their birth. Simply put, it was based on the ancient principle of he who has the gold makes the rules. We might say it another way, rich men rule. Just like in old Europe, the rich British loyalists already had control of the wages and they kept them oppressively low for the working man in order to make sure that they had plenty of working men and women around to do their bidding. Whether it was clerking their stores, staffing their mansions, factories and ships, or farming their vast holdings of land for a sharecropper's pittance. The logic of those who had the gold, quote-unquote, was impeccable. The warrior who had to work 60... Now listen to this. The warrior who had to work 60 hours or more a week just to make enough money to survive presented no threat to the wealthy of starting his own business and one day competing with them for the wealth available in the new world for the well-capitalized merchant. So what they found after the long risky trip over the ocean from Europe, they discovered that it was still a rich man's game that assured that the poor continued to be the losers. Now, I don't know how many times I've tried to get people I know who metal detect to come and go with me. I can't. I have to work. It's what I hear. Some of you are out there working two jobs or some even three. I hate to break the news to you in one way. I'm glad to break it to you in another. You're an economic slave. You can't do what you want to. You're having to do what you have to to make ends meet just like these people were. Time to wake up and smell the coffee. The greatest freedom in the world is the freedom to spend your time as you choose and not as somebody else chooses for you. If I've ever said anything that's noble or profound, I just said it. Now, of course, these people came here for one thing primarily, and that was land. Um, and we're going to get into the supplemental pictures, which I posted on all Metal Mode group page, uh, if you're following along. Uh, and I forgot to mention at the beginning, you know, I, these stories are coming from uh, uh, my book that I did called Heroes and Hostels, Volume 2. And I have uh, put a slide up there on the first picture, number one, in the supplemental photos showing you the cover of the book and showing you how to order one if you would like to have a copy. Uh, in the interest of freedom, 
I can tell you that my books will never be available from any online bookseller because I have to give the publisher the rights to edit my books. That means I lose editorial control and that means they can change the historical truths that I dug out and put in these books and I'm not going to let that happen. So I have to self-publish in order to keep control of what is in these books. And that's why the only way to get one of my books is to order directly from me. Because I will not give up editorial control of my books. I will not have anybody changing what I say and putting a book out there with my name on it. <coughs> now, let's keep on going here. So anyway, in the second slide, uh, I'm just making the point that land was what it was all about. Uh, I show a picture of a tree with a, uh, a sign advertising land for sale for a dollar an acre. That was a lot of money back then. It doesn't seem like much, but there was an awful lot. There were millions of acres up for grabs. And uh, this was behind not only the hopes of the peasant class, it was behind the hidden agendas of the rich. Now, I'm going to show you how they, how they work these poor people. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Mercilessly, and I don't mean work as the employment, how they, I'm using the wrong word, not work, manipulated these people to do their bidding and sacrificed a lot of their lives because they didn't care. The, as far as these people were concerned, the peasant class was there to wipe their feet on. And nothing has changed, people. It's still the same today, I'm sorry to say. Your people that are taking office, I'm not a political person. I do not belong to any party, any party. Uh, my views, uh, a lot of people would call me conservative. Uh, they're going to start calling me my far right. But I am not political. I don't support any candidates because I know I, folks, I worked for the rich people. I did their fancy landscaping for 44 years, well, 41 years, minus the three years I worked for Charles Garrett. And 
I worked for some of the world's richest people. I was on a first-name basis with them. I talked to them about business, about all kinds of things. I knew their children. I worked in uh, Highland Park in Dallas, Texas, which had the highest per capita income of any community in the world when I worked there doing landscaping. And I know how they think, and I know, and I'm not talking about somebody you know, that's got a few hundred thousand in the bank or even a few million. I'm talking about people that are worth hundreds of million, billions of dollars. They don't think like we do. And uh, I had to be on my guard the entire 41 years that I worked for these people uh, or they would take advantage of me. They would underpay me for my work. They would do anything they could get away with uh, if I let them. So I had to come, and they got away with it. I've got $160,000 that I paid in dues to learn that's legally owed me, and yet I cannot collect it from rich people because I can't afford to take them to court. They, they are lawyered up to the hilt, and uh, I don't stand a chance. And if I got that money with all the interest they owe me on it, uh, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. So anyway, uh, and this is not just sour grapes because, you know, I lost some money to rich people. I'm telling you, and I'm going to show you what they did to the peasant class, to the pioneers, to the brave people on the frontier. It is, it is an atrocity. It is an atrocity. And similar atrocities are being done to the poor class and the middle class of the United States today. So history's repeating itself because we haven't learned the lessons. Very few people know this history of the frontier. Very few people, I mean, they're used to seeing Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and all this stuff. And their mind's been focused on the entertainment and the adventure value, you know, and the Indian fights and all this kind of stuff. And they don't see how these people were manipulated brutally. I'm going to show you how they did it. Okay, now. This land was very different from Europe because there was no unclaimed land anywhere remaining in Europe. But here was a vast frontier to the west of the 13 colonies containing hundreds of millions of acres of fertile land and it was unclaimed by anybody except the savage, uncivilized as they looked at it, Native Americans. The ones that we called Indians who inhabited. But as that frontier moved further or far, further and further west due to the Americans driving out the more and more of their land it was but inevitable that what is now Kentucky with its many thousands of fertile creek bottom valleys gently rolling spring watered bluegrass meadows and woods full of great hardwood trees for building stout structures would become a focus for many of the ever increasing new arrivals it was inevitable uh, and the rich men uh, who were who had great plans for this area knew this they knew it would be an irresistible draw for oppressed people 
<clears throat> excuse me. So Kentucky would become a symbol in the minds, or the frontier would become a symbol in the minds of those still in pursuit of their dreams. Uh, it, it became a symbol of real freedom and, and potential prosperity that comes from owning your own land, So, at least often from owning your own land. So the peasant class that arrived here coveted this greatly, and they were emotionally blinded by that zeal. And I'm going to show you here that they're once more were going to fall victim to economic enslavement just like they had been enduring in Europe. So the land here, it was said, was dirt cheap, uh, free of taxes. Excuse me just a second here. Uh, I got them new mouse and that thing is super sensitive I barely touch it and it does strange things on my computer screen so uh, let me get back where I was here alright here we go now I'm back right place in my notes uh all of this land, so it was said, was dirt cheap. That was the slogan. Free of taxes and obligations to rich landholders and ready to be claimed by anyone brave enough and strong enough to go there. But they had, of course, clear their fields and build their home on it and defend it against the savages. The rich people did not go there. They stayed back safe in the 13 colonies where the you know Indian Indians had long been subdued, and actually uh, the same thing, the same process that I'm going to describe to you that happened on the Kentucky frontier was used to subdue or obtain the 13 colonies uh, and drive out the Indians from those. The poor could not fight the rich landowners and the businessmen back east who had chosen as their battlefields the courts of their own creation. The courts were created by the rich men. And whenever a peasant, you know, an immigrant, a poor man, if you please, a middle class even, if you please, whenever they would go to the courts trying to get relief from oppression of some form by the rich their rich enemies would simply lawyer up and they would use bribery to buy verdicts in their favor to subvert the just cause of the poor that's been going on a long time. If you're a student of the Bible, you will see there are many, many warnings about in Israel, ancient Israel, about subverting the cause of the poor uh, through corruption. And uh, like I said, history history repeats itself. So the poor could not 
get justice in the courts. Their rights got trampled underfoot. Fine-sounding uh, documents like the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, their rights were trampled underfoot due to generous bribes to the judges and government officials and the fact that the poor could not afford expensive legal representation and at that time there were no free attorneys uh, empowered by the court to help the poor another thing that the rich people did was they had the lawyers design long complicated legal processes uh, to attempt to get redress of all the wrongs being done them and they would the judges would postpone and you know uh, continue the cases and 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 the the time to get something settled got longer and longer and the poor people had to keep coming back from their farms all the way to where the courts were to try to get uh, help to get, to get redressed for the wrongs that were done them and finally they had to give up they had to give up because the rich men wore them down see you see the process that is a type of slavery when you take away the rights of anybody you're making a slave out of them and this is how their rights were subverted Now, the heathen red man was a different matter altogether for these uh, hardy uh, settlers. I say hardy because they were used to hard physical labor. That's all they'd ever known in Europe. But when it came to the red men, the hostiles, here was a tangible enemy. It was a th they were a threat to these settlers' lives and prosperity, yes. But they believed that they could fight against and win against this enemy with powder and ball. They could kill them or they could drive them off from what they saw as theirs to rightfully claim. So they thought they'd found a solution to getting away from the oppressive rich people who had managed to enslave them wherever they went. But if, let's see here, we want to get a couple pictures in. Picture number three is a beautiful picture of some of the bluegrass country uh, that you can see why this kind of land, how excited they would have been. Now picture number four is where we are Take a good look at this uh, hostile red man here because the newcomers to the, the, the red man's area, the land, did not understand just what a desperate enemy they were facing. 
they had a mental image and they thought you know they were used they were hunters you know they had to hunt uh, even in Europe to try to supplement food for their family so they they were caught up into what they saw as an opportunity to actually gain real freedom and they just didn't understand the ultimate price that many of them were going to have to pay uh, for what would prove to be merely an illusion of being free on the frontier they were made to believe there was real hope of freedom but it was an illusion as I'm about to show you and bear with me because I want you to see how people with hidden agendas manipulate us the techniques are pretty much the same from the 1760s to the 1960s to the year 2021 money brings power and with power people can change things to go their way the poor didn't have that option they arrived here poor and they immediately had to get busy work uh, try to save up a little bit of money so they could actually move away from the 13 colonies and go to the frontier so they're immediately caught up in the problem of trying to make a living on too low too low a wage they discovered that the stories they'd heard about opportunities to prosper financially uh, had been greatly exaggerated for the poor no they weren't there did a few poor uh, fight and scrap and claw their way to prosperity you know managed to open little stores or whatever in, like in New York the big cities yes they did yes they did but they were a tiny tiny fraction of all the people who came looking for that prosperity uh, and willing to work for it uh, while they were free the problem was they were not able to look far enough ahead to realize that as soon as civilization was brought to the new frontier by their hard work and the sacrifices of many of their lives those rich men same rich men who had no scruples who had abused them in court and in using them by paying them too low a wage for the work done would move right in to cheat a great number of them out of their land now how did they do this 
the same old Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Uh, they ruled over the poor man in the big cities. They established corrupt courts presided over by rich men uh, or men who would do their bidding and who became rich on the bribes they took. And we have the same thing going on in the justice system today in this country. Excuse me just a second. Had to get something out of my eye there. Oh. Okay, I'm going to grab a drink of water too while I've got this little bitty interruption here. So you see the courts and the corrupt judges and the land speculators did not arrive on the frontier until the peasant class immigrants had made it safe for them to be here. You know, there were cities that were uh, big enough that the Indians could not attack them directly. Uh, so that's where once they knew that, that they could, you know, hole up there, they came and they did their dirty work. They started working on getting this land that these working class people were making safe for them to own. So the bribing of various court and government officials and land surveyors would further cement their control over the poor and they would use their ever-increasing, listen to this, political clout to impose new taxes that oppressed and often deprived the settlers of their lands. At the same time, they would see to it that prices on critical goods and supplies needed on the frontier that they were manufacturing or distributing were constantly increasing. Are we not seeing that very same thing today? Am I the only one who realizes, my wife and I, are we the only ones that have gone to the grocery store lately and discovered things that we've been using for several years, products have increased by 30 or 40% overnight? I know I'm not. I know some of you experienced the same thing. Have you bought lumber a year or two ago and then not bought it until now? Have you checked the lumber prices lately? 
And of course, we can blame it on COVID. But you haven't seen anything yet. Watch what happens to inflation in the next six months to a year. We're repeating history. These inflationary increases on the goods produced by the rich men assured that a constantly growing share of the profits of the free peasants, quote-unquote, made from their farms and businesses would go into the coffers of the rich and help keep the poor man, yep, poor. The rich men in America who controlled the commerce and the banking system as it developed in this country learned an important lesson from their experiences with these American peasants, quote-unquote, who desired so fervently to be totally rule, uh, free rather of the rule of the rich. They learned that it was not necessary to actually let the poor be free and obtain real prosperity by hard work. It was only necessary to give them the illusion that they were free and that hard work and good business practices would result in their becoming wealthy. So as I said, yes, there were a few poor allowed to become rich, but a very, very few proportionately. These rare occurrences, think of it like this. They were like a, a full bucket of water being carried. The rich didn't care if a few drops of water spilled from the bucket. They would not be missed. These few drops being the, the few uh, of the peasant class or the poor people who actually uh, you know, climbed the ladder to prosperity. As long as the mass didn't, then the rich men were, were okay with that. So this economic enslavement technique, EET, if you want an acronym, the EET, EET, economic enslavement technique, applied to the mass of freedom-loving, hard-working Americans And it proved all the way back in the early years of our country to be enormously successful, and they have continued using it to this very day to actually economically enslave most Americans while deluding them into thinking they are actually free. Uh, the new president says he's going to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. But he's not telling you that any benefit from that increase in the minimum wage will be eaten up by the hyperinflation uh, that we're going to be seeing in the next few years. Now, folks, I, I am not a genius or an economic expert, but I have common sense. And you can't keep running up trillions of dollars in debt without causing hyperinflation especially when there's no plan. Nobody's talking about any kind of a plan to balance the budget, to curb the debt, to pay it off. It's not going to happen. 
So you live in a world where hyperinflation is going to be in your future. It is now. So let's learn the lessons of history. This same hyperinflation, see, was, was being worked as a hidden agenda on the poor on the frontier. I want to give you three examples to prove my point out of dozens of points that could be given. And bear with me because you will see how it ties into our examination of the of the stories that we're going to be uh, they're going to be following this when we get through this set portion here. European poor people, number one, could not own their own land. They rented it until they could no longer meet the rising rent payments and property taxes. And it was either A, re repossessed and sold to the wealthy, or B, the poor who lived on it became nothing more than sharecroppers for the new wealthy owners. Then they were allowed only to keep 20% or less of their yearly harvest, an amount so small that it kept them tied to the land as slaves living in abject poverty. Stronger than iron chains around their ankles or wrists. Economic slavery. Once property taxes, now let me give you the, the similarity here in the United States. Once property taxes were instituted in the United States, no one could actually own their own land free and clear anymore. If you, you know, I've heard people say, yeah, I've got my property all paid off. No, you don't. You're still a renter. What do you mean, I'm still a renter? What happens if you don't pay your property taxes? Well, they'll, they'll come and take my land. What if your land is worth a half a million dollars and you owe a thousand dollars property taxes? and you don't pay it or you can't pay it, maybe you've been in an accident or you have a serious illness and you can't pay your property taxes, what happens to your land? Well, they'll sell it on the courthouse steps. Okay. When they sell your land, will they take the $1,000 you owe them in taxes and give the rest of the money back to you so you're not totally wiped out? Well, no, they don't do that. You're right, they don't. Would a poor man ever make a law like that? No, a rich man would. It's the same thing with a mortgage on your home. <laughs> if you're paying off your property in 360 payments and you make 358, you've got two payments to go, and something happens, like I said, a major disaster, you know, a, a bad auto wreck, hospital bills, uh, sickness, whatever, and you can't make those last two payments. Is the banker going to sell your home when he repossesses it, take the last two payments out of what he gets, and maybe a fee for the sale, selling of it, and then give you the equity back so you're not wiped out? No, he's not. He's taking it all. You're totally wiped out. Would a poor man ever make a law like that, folks? 
Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address should have said that this government of the rich, by the rich, and for the rich shall not perish from the earth because that's what it is. It's designed to oppress the poor man. That's what a mortgage does to you. The good book says that the borrower is servant, actually bond slave to the lender. You got a mortgage on your home, you are a bond slave, whether you like it or not. And you can get mad at me for saying it, but I'm telling you the truth. I had a mortgage. My wife and I had a mortgage on our two houses and 11 acres we owned in Texas. When the Arabs dropped the price of oil to $8 a barrel in the early 80s, they wiped out the Texas economy. There was no work. We lost a very profitable business almost overnight. And we lost our house, our cars, everything that had a mortgage on it, so to speak. Now, I don't, I don't borrow. My house was built on the pay-as-you-go plan. I built 80% of it myself. Nobody can take my house. No banker will get this house. My property taxes are 76 cents a year. So they're not going to get my house for property taxes. But I learned the hard way. It was awfully, awfully grievous and painful and hard on me and my wife to lose everything. When we had A1 credit, we had everything going for us. Folks, I've been there and done that. I know. We had bought 11 acres with two houses on it. We put $54,000 of cash into it in three years, improving the property, and we had to walk away from it with nothing. The borrower is indeed servant to the lender, the bond slave. Start now and get yourself out of debt and stop being a bond slave to the lenders. Destroy your credit cards. Don't use anything but a debit card. That way you're not spending more than what you have in the bank. Okay, now... Like I said, history is repeating itself. Number two reason. In Europe, wages never kept pace with inflation on goods. The poor were forced to buy. Wages never kept pace with inflation on goods. The poor were first forced to buy. If they got... Well... If they got a uh, slight raise or made a little money, then more money than they did last year, they discovered new taxes or increased prices ate up that extra money. When I started my own business in 1972 at the age of 23, I made $10,000 that first year. And that was all the money in the world. Boy, that was that was a great income back then. It would be like making seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars today in terms of buying power that ten thousand had. The second year, I doubled my volume in business. 
And silly me, I'm thinking I'm going to double my profit, that I'm going to have $20,000. But it threw me into a higher tax bracket. And you know how much I got out of that doubling my, my volume in one year? In other words, I made 100% more the second year in business, but I only got to keep $1,000 of it. I went from a $10,000 year, doubled my volume, and only got $11,000 out of it the next year, thanks to the tax system. Designed to keep the poor poor. Designed to keep the small businessman from becoming a big businessman. Folks, it's as plain as the nose on your face. Do the math. It's right there in front of you. This reality of wages never keeping pace with inflation gave birth to the old but still so true adage, the rich grow richer and the poor grow poorer. When I bought my first new vehicle in 1972, it was a one-ton fire engine red dump truck I used in my landscape business. It was $4,000, and I thought that was all the money in the world. That same truck cost somewhere last year about $48,000. $48,000. It had gone up. It's over 10 times more expensive than it was in 1972. And I'll guarantee you my income never went up 10 times in that same period of time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My income might have quadrupled, but that's not even close. Now, I cannot even imagine buying a vehicle, a pickup truck, for $75,000. I mean, I know people, I have friends that have bought trucks, pickup trucks that cost that. $75,000. The poor people in this country cannot afford a new vehicle. Can't do it. And the young people that are stupid enough to get credit and to start paying on one of these horribly expensive cars, vehicles, $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, they never stop and think that that car 
will be wore out and be needing expensive repairs and things before they get it paid off. So this, the point is, I'm using these modern examples to illustrate this same kind of thing was happening on the frontier. You go into the, the trading post and, you know, here's a steel axe and, you know, it costs cost you $2. And two or three months later, you know, you, you hire somebody to help you clear your land and you and you go to get a, another axe uh, for them to use and you discover that it's now $4. This thing was going on. It was going on in Europe and these people got over here and they discovered that the same thing was happening over here. The system, you know, this is this is where that old expression came from, the rich grow richer and the poor grow poorer. You know, Dorian, something that uh, happened to me in, in particular, uh, my house was paid for, all of my vehicles were paid for, and um, I went to get this one-ton truck that, that I just recently purchased, and when I went there, I've I've just not I've simply done just what you described. I I haven't borrowed money in probably twenty five or thirty years now, and I went there and, and I didn't want to pay for the truck outright. I want to write it off right, but because I had no credit, because I paid cash for every single thing, I got punished. And the, initially, they were wanting to charge me fifteen percent. And I'm, I know the same thing happened back in the day as, as well, but I was astounded because I thought, you know, I don't know anybody anything. You know, I don't want to do this, but I ended up paying for the truck. So, but but it, just to save that 15%, I didn't want to, but it's amazing. I got punished because of doing what I should do, you know, right. and, and living the way I should as, as far as the monetary part. And I think that's amazing that that happens to people. It just uh, doesn't make sense, and sure ain't right for sure. Nope. Uh, but you see what was going on on the frontier. Uh, like I said, these people, see, they were so focused on that what they thought was a legitimate opportunity to be free and to be and to prosper on their own land. Yep. And, 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 you know, I mean, and eventually there were a lot, there were a lot of uh, people who made a living uh, on their own land but it's just like you go to Lexington Kentucky it's the horse capital of the world today and here are these unbelievable horse farms thousands of acres dozens of miles of four board white fence barns that would put the average house to shame for their luxury and maybe six eight ten giant barns uh, you know, bigger, big as a skyscraper laying on its side. And uh, <laughs> the the wealth is staggering. Uh, but most of those those farms now, a lot of them are owned by oil sheiks, you know, people from the Middle East and stuff. And the American, I mean, we're talking about... Uh, uh, people that might be called wealthy 
that originally owned those farms, they had been forced out because they could not pay the property taxes, they could not make any money, and the Americans are being forced out more and more, and, and foreigners are coming in buying those farms who do not live here, who do not have U.S. citizenship. Uh, you know, it, it just it's just amazing, uh, the power of money. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, you'd have to see these farms to believe them. You really would. If you ever get a chance to go to Lexington, go there and tour the horse farms. Uh, a lot of them are open for tours, Calumet and other places. But anyway, um, we had a, we have a system here, my point is, that's been used for thousands of years to oppress the poor. So... The system was transplanted to America, and it is still absolutely in use to this very moment. We're being told that annual inflation, you know, is something like two to four percent, and yet it's not. And here's an interesting thing. Uh, well, here was an example. There's a, a company uh, that makes this one drug for a for a. Uh, it's the only company that makes this drug. It's for some kind of a strange disease I've forgotten the name of. The people that need it, uh, they have to go to this company to get it. It's the only company that makes it. And they were charging 300 and, uh, uh, I think $312 a month for a month's supply of this drug. And Dennis, overnight, they raised the price to $1,240 for a month's supply. From 312 to 1240. Well, the the media got wind of this, and they demanded a statement from the CEO. And this is what the CEO said: "We have a sacred right to our, or we have a sacred obligation to our stockholders to make as much profit as possible." Wow! Can you imagine what that did to those people? You know, they're struggling to pay $312 a month for this drug, and the price quadruples overnight. Well, that's an extreme example. But you take products. Let me give you an example. Let's say lumber. Well, lumber's way up. Go talk to the people who cut the lumber and ask them how much their salaries have increased, or their wages, not anywhere close to be in line with what the price increases on the products are. Not anywhere close. Have the car makers got such incredibly high uh, increases in wages that 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 Cars and trucks had to go from ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars to seventy-six to a hundred thousand dollars. Now, I don't think so. I don't think so. I went and bought a pair of windshield wiper blades for my car the other day, and I haven't bought any for about a year. The last time I bought, I paid fourteen dollars, seven dollars a piece. Dennis, I had to pay $36 to get two windshield wiper blades. Wow. $36 to 
from 14 to 36 in one year for my SUV. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. People are having to, they, they have been put out of jobs where they were making 60, 70, 80,000 a year, and now they're having to work two or three jobs just to try to make enough to survive, and they're still only making maybe half of what they were. It's not the rich people that are suffering these things. It's middle class to poor. Okay, same thing's happening on the frontier. Uh, the, uh, in Europe, wages never kept pace with inflation. All right, here's number three. Heavy taxes contributed mightily to the poverty of the European working classes, and we are exactly in the same situation here in Kentucky and the United States. The only difference between what they did to the Europeans and our ancestors here in Kentucky or in America in the early years is that those who imposed taxes learned from instances like the Boston Tea Party not to impose new taxes openly whenever possible. Listen to this now. But rather impose them by hiding them. Hello, Dennis. Hey, hello there. Okay, we're back. We dropped, man. Okay. Speaker, anybody out there? We back? Bill? Let us know. Bill. Of course, there's that delay. We show to be, everything yeah. shows to be out, outputting correctly. Okay. I don't know what yeah, happened. Spreaker just died for a minute. Okay. All right. Are Bill? Any? Anybody? All right. We're good. Okay. All right. I was just uh, talking about uh, we actually, folks, whether you know it or not, you're paying about 75% of your total income yearly in taxes uh, because of something called hidden taxes. There are taxes on things like a, ga a gallon of milk that you don't even know about, probably. You know that there's taxes on booze, and there's taxes on tobacco, and there's taxes on tires. We know about those things, taxes on gasoline. We don't think about that, that those are all part of taxes that come out of our income. So this is how they how they do it to us now. They hide these taxes. Uh, they call them fees. They call them surcharges. You know, on the electric bill and blah blah blah. But it all boils down to taxation without our permission or approval or input. It just they just lay them on us and we line up to pay them. So, you know, if the president announced that income taxes would be increased 50% on all middle and poor class Americans, there would be an outcry not seen in this country since the Civil War. But if you do it quietly and camouflage those tax increases as excise taxes, fees, and surcharges, like I said, 
we're like the frog in a pan of water. They're cooking us one degree at a time. The rich who govern waste and steal a huge percentage of all tax monies collected. I saw where $4 billion, $4 billion just disappeared in Iraq. And they didn't even require the contractor who couldn't account for it to give an accounting. They didn't even bring him to justice because he was friends of people in high places. A rich man, friends of the rich. And I don't know how many people are aware of this, but 80% of the first uh, stimulus package of the money that was to go to small business owners to help keep them keep their doors open, 80% of that money went to small business owners, quote unquote, who were already wealthy and did not need any stimulus money to keep their business doors open. So, here's the bottom line. Even as men like John Finley, Daniel Boone, and Simon Kenton arrived on the new Kentucky frontier to settle here in the last half of the 1700s, the rich using the power that wealth buys were already enacting plans for continuing the continuing economic enslavement of the working class settlers. The awful truth, the awful truth is that democracy puts the wealthy into or in control of the government positions of greatest power and historically that has never been proven beneficial to the working class Americans. It matters not which political party is in power, both are controlled by the rich. So in the end, these largely invisible dictators, quote unquote, who use vast wealth and power to influence our lives from the shadows, they are by far the greatest threats to our freedom that ever existed. And that is a matter of history. True freedom is purchased at a much greater price than just the blood of our military. And you know what? Most of that blood that was and is shed was shed by the poor. So, while the relatively poor settler was focused on only on claiming land and holding it against the hostile red men, the rich power brokers back in the eastern cities who were safe from the ravages of the frontier war were already working to take control of the wealth of that land once it was civilized. Okay. Let me make this point. Some of our most heroic frontiersmen like Daniel Boone and Simon Kenton were among the first in Kentucky to realize that the courts and the corrupt men who often controlled them were far more of a threat to their property and prosperity than even the most savage of the Shawnees they frequently fought. In the end, 
In the end, both Daniel Boone and Simon Kenton would be cheated out of hundreds of thousands of acres by the rich men's courts. Acres that the fierce... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Red men had not been able to take from them by force in decades of warfare. And the settlers never saw it coming. They never realized they were being manipulated. They never realized that they were going to be attacked illegally, unfairly, and without remedy once they had established their prosperous farms, once they had cleared the land and they had built the, the structures, the barns and the cabins and everything, and it was showing promise to be a really profitable operation, they became the targets for the unscrupulous land speculators and courts. So here's what it comes down to. The poor they ruled over were just too occupied with survival to recognize their greatest enemies and move against them in mass to prevent their being elected to powerful public offices. Has anything changed today? Isn't the same situation existing in our country right now? Okay. Um, my good friend and fellow author Charles Maddox, in his book Land of Whispered Sorrows, informs us that the first major exploration and surveying parties arrived on the Kentucky frontier about 1773. And they were made up mostly of men who were veterans of the French and Indian War and so they were well enough acquainted with the rigors and dangers of operating in the wilderness. Now, in the early part of 1773, nine such explorers arrived from Fort Pitt, which is now Pittsburgh, via the Ohio River at the mouth of Limestone Creek, which is now Maysville, Kentucky. Their leader appears to have been a man by the name of John Hedges, and it was his party that named Mason County, uh, of which uh, Maysville is the ca uh, county seat, and then Limestone Creek and Lawrence Creek. Now, Lawrence Creek can be seen immediately to the west of the Veterans Memorial Park on the south side 
of the AA Highway in Maysville. Uh, if you look at uh, photo number five, I took this picture. It is a beautiful creek, and it's right. I took it where it's right at the base of the hill where Simon Kenton built his famous uh, salt box salt box design brick home. Uh, his home was the first uh, um, structure in the Maysville area. As a matter of fact. Uh, next we have the Captain Thomas Bullet party of surveyors from Virginia uh, who came, arrived in June of the same year to Limestone Creek or at Limestone Creek and they were joined by other explorers. Now some in the party such as Jacob Drennan would choose to stay in the area and claim land and becoming of some, some of the very first Kentucky settlers. Drennan would later be killed by Indians. Uh, some of the first casualties of the War of the Red Men uh, uh, wait a minute, let me rephrase that. Uh, Drennan was, was certainly one of the first casualties of the War of the Red Men. Anyway, another war veteran, General William Thompson, came with a group of veterans from Pennsylvania down the river to the mouth of the Scioto River, which is just west of present-day Portsmouth. Uh, it flows from the north uh, due south into the High River at the city of Portsmouth, Ohio. Uh, they came and they camped on the Kentucky side. And Charles Mannix said that uh, one of this party, James Smith, penetrated into the Kentucky wilderness as far as the abandoned Indian village of Eskipa Kathiki. Eskipa Kathiki. Okay. At the same time, another nine pioneers from the western part of Pennsylvania arrived at the South Shore camp. Uh, South Shore meaning mean the South Shore of the Ohio River. There is a city there now called South Shore, right on the river. Well, one of these men was John Finley, and he was believed to be no relation to John Findley. Finley was F-I-N-L-E-Y, and Findley was F-I-N-D-L-E-Y. Uh, who was one of my wife's relatives, by the way. And uh, we discussed him in volume one of the series. And Maddox tells us in his book that John Finley was also a traitor, like John Findley, and that he spoke several different American, uh, Native American languages. Now, this alone was an impressive accomplishment for a man on the frontier. Well, Major John Finley would go on to own the Upper Blue Licks and the valley surrounding it, and this is not where the Battle of Blue Licks was fought. That was Lower Blue Licks. This is Upper Blue Licks, and we're going to show you a picture here. It's a truly beautiful place in what is now northern Fleming County. Um, if you look at picture number six, you'll see a, a picture of a grove of trees and a historical marker. This is where the house and grave of John Finley is. Um, I tried to get permission to metal detect it, but the uh, farmer there has uh, got a really bad attitude, and uh, there's no working with him. So we're going to have to wait till he dies off, and maybe the next owner will be a little more generous. But uh, 
if you're standing there, I mean, looking at this uh, this grove of trees, and you turn and look to your left, you will see what it appears in picture number seven on the supplemental photos. The paved road turns into gravel and goes down to the old Ford. Uh, it follows this follows the what's called the old Warriors Path, and it goes down to the Ford of the Licking River. Uh, near a creek that runs into it called Battle Run. And there's a reason uh, there's a reason why you know it's called Battle Run and we'll get into that battle later. Uh, there's also a major battle that took place here we're going to talk about uh, because there's quite a story behind it. Anyway um uh, Let's see. Just about the time the American Revolution uh, against Britain was getting into high gear in 1775-1776, a teenage Simon Kenton was camping, hunting, and exploring all over what is now northeastern Kentucky. If you recall from our, our last series, uh, at that time he was known as Simon Butler, an alias taken because he believed he killed a teenage rival for a Pennsylvania girl's affections with his fists. Turned out he just knocked a guy out and didn't kill him. Anyway, an interesting fact that was brought out in the land of Whispered Sorrows about Simon Kenton was the report in the Draper Manuscripts of his first encounter with another white man. Kenton was at the Blue Licks when something spooked the buffalo and they stampeded. Kenton climbed a tree to avoid being trampled and noticed someone else in another nearby tree. It was one of the original Kentucky settlers named John Hinkson, uh, or Hinkston, who's whom Hinkston Creek is named after. There was both, uh, there was a John Hinkston and there was a John Hinkson, as it turned out on the frontier. Uh, so it's easy to get them, get them confused. But here he found, <laughs> that's, his, that's how Simon Kent met his first white man in Kentucky. Uh, but we're going to go ahead now and we're going to get into Daniel Boone's arrival on the frontier. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. This is a good breaking point. Uh, Dennis, if you'll keep our audience entertained for a minute or two, I'm going to take a short break, and I will be right back. Ah, I am cheap entertainment, ladies and gentlemen. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go take a break. We're talking about windshield wipers over here anyway. So, <clears throat> you know, folks, he, he's right about uh, the taxation and stuff back then as well as now. And it just seems like that uh, I followed many, many old settlers here around where I live in Texas. And there's a lot of them lost their property for one reason or another. And uh, I was talking to the gentleman that on the... 6,000, I think between six and 7,000 acre ranch I was on yesterday. And uh, 
he was talking about they lost 5,000 acres back about 1910 um, because of um, they, they had a hardship and, and ended up a banker ended up with their property because uh, they had a bad year and the cattle didn't take and they lost all that and it's just such a shame but uh, I know here in Texas too going back to the 1800s there was a lot of uh, wide open prairie a lot of folks uh, conquered the land if you were uh, man enough to hold land you could hold as much as you could handle I guess there were lots of 10,000 acre ranches down here and uh, of course there's a lot of land out here to to do that then so uh a lot of the places I like to go to uh, are encompassed by those big ranchers now, and it's just getting to know those folks and getting on there. I can imagine <clears throat> back in the early 1800s, like what Dorian's talking about tonight, the same cycle has gone on and on, over and over and over, going back through history, you know. There's lots of... Uh, Lots of money's exchanged hands, and the rich do get richer for sure, you know. And uh, anyway, you know, here, if my plans work out for all you guys that are listening, I and I may have mentioned this before, but I plan, uh, I bought this truck, and we're going to get a uh, a uh, fifth wheel uh, toy hauler, as a matter of fact. Uh, some of y'all, most of y'all probably know that hear this, but we have to accommodate the bobcat that we have. But I'm going to be traveling, and uh, I sure would like to go detecting with some of you folks. And y'all can even meet the bobcat if you're nice. I don't know how well she'll do with strangers, but she does all right. I can give her happy pills. And uh, I'm, I won't even charge you to take me metal detecting. That's how benevolent <laughs> I am. So <laughs> I go to Dorian's, and I wasn't even going to charge him. What does he do? He makes a creek rise up four feet where I can't escape and then makes me suffer through listening to him over and over for days. Just wrong. <laughs> I'll leave the room for a couple of minutes and you run amok on me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Are you back? I didn't know you hear that. <laughs> well, I just talk about whatever I wanted to. You know that. Yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. Well, Okay. Well, let's get back into this here, and let's see what what we can find in the way of adventures. You know, before, uh, Bill, they, you, your comment about re-implementing the water rights thing, they're doing yeah. that now down here. One of the biggest mistakes I probably made on our old property was not drilling a, a four- or six-inch water well down to 900 feet, but right now I'd be a wealthy man had I done that. You can't even do it now because it's all controlled by a water district. So, there you go. There you go. All right, brother, go ahead. Yeah, Dennis, everywhere we turn, we're seeing more and more things that control and restrict us. Um, I had a I had a rare opportunity I never thought I would have in this life because I you know I lived a lot of my life around two big cities, either Dallas or Cincinnati, and uh, you're regulated to death. Uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, always a some guy joked. He said that uh, he said the next the next thing they're going to tax us on. He says that we're going to we're going to have a flatulence tax. Uh, you know, because of the methane we're putting in the atmosphere. Oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know the. I get down here. I actually built my house 
without taking out a single building permit. I did my own electric, uh, and I tell you what, I did a lot better job than the average electrician because I knew if I didn't, my house might burn down. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, I took my time, and I, you know, got got the book on how to do it, and uh, I did it. And uh, I did my own plumbing. Uh, you know, and if you want to want to know why my uh, my property taxes are so low, because we have 28 acres here, uh, not 11 like we had in Texas. Uh, it's because uh, I have a homestead, what they call a homestead exemption. And uh, by the way, Dennis, uh, there is something on the books in Kentucky called an allodial title. Yeah. And under an allodial title, uh, they cannot take your property for property taxes. But That's they have. Cool. They couldn't get it off the books, so they added about 28 different hoops you got to jump through to get one where it's almost impossible it's so expensive and so time consuming that nobody can get an allodial title anymore yeah. you have to be rich you'd have to be rich to do it so they keep stacking the deck against us yeah texas has the land patent and um, that theoretically does the same thing but it's very difficult to have and i think the courts have actually ruled against it down here but that originates from the Spanish land grants. Yeah. So. Well, that's something that doesn't come into play here on the Spanish land grants. But anyway. That's good. Right, Texas, brother. Go back to the story. All right. Let's get into Daniel Boone. Uh, I asked the question, was he a pioneer uh, or a prospector, or maybe was he both? Uh, what's not familiar to most people is much of the truth about his life on the frontier. You know, for example, did you know that one time Daniel Boone faced a court-martial for being a traitor uh, to, to, to his own people? You know, to this. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Settlers, we'll be covering that event in detail in this series. But let's get into the life of Daniel Boone. Let's see if we can't discover who the real Daniel Boone is here and what he was involved in and why. Uh, we're going to uh, pick up at the point of his arrival on the Kentucky frontier, and we're going to see if we can't set the record straight in a number of ways about his life and adventures. And once again, I'm going to draw on the research that was published by Charles Maddox in his very limited circulation book entitled The Land of Whispered Sorrows. 
I personally have found no one better at digging out truth about Kentucky's historical figures than Charles. And his work is an outstanding resource for writers like myself uh, who are trying to assemble the somewhat scattered facts of historical truth into readable but true stories. So we'll begin by getting into where Daniel Boone came from, how he arrived on the Kentucky frontier, and why. If you're like most folks, you know, who have done any study at all in the life of Daniel Boone, uh, probably most of you, quite frankly, your only exposure is Disney's, uh, you know, um, TV series on Daniel Boone, but uh, or maybe a movie or two about Daniel Boone. But you might be like myself under the impression, or I, like I was, that Boone was born in North Carolina and grew up there and then migrated to Kentucky when in his mid-30s. Well, that apparently was not the case. Uh, apparently, Boone, Daniel Boone was born on November the 2nd, 1734, in Berks County, Pennsylvania, in a log cabin near present-day Redding, Pennsylvania. Uh, traditionally, like all too many Kentuckians even to this day and time, Boone had little interest in formal education, preferring instead to quote-unquote advance his education by spending a lot of time working on his woodcraft skills. Uh, that is a traditional uh, situation in the Appalachians. The uh, Schools in the county where I live, I was told, have a dropout rate. The high schools have a dropout rate of about 65%, which might surprise a lot of people. And quite frankly, were Boone reborn in his present age, I suspect he would be one of those dropouts. But, we're told that by age 12, Daniel had a sharp hunter's eye and he kept his family's dinner table well supplied with wild game. By the time of his marriage at age 22 to a pioneer woman named Rebecca Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N, a woman reported to be of great patience and courage. Boone was a well-seasoned woodsman by then and apparently he spent the next 10 years both hunting and farming to feed his family so it comes as no great surprise that his friend John Findley F-I-N-D-L-E-Y my wife's distant ancestor would approach him in 1769 Daniel was when Daniel was 35 years of age and asked him to guide his six-man party on a journey into the Kentucky wilderness now by this time Boone and his family appeared to have been living along the Yadkin River in North Carolina now we know that Finley, Boone, and the rest of their party came through the Cumberland Gap, the famous Cumberland Gap on this, their first journey into Kentucky. 
So that would indeed tend to indicate that they came from North Carolina rather than Pennsylvania. But it should be noted at this point that the first penetration of the Kentucky wilderness involving Daniel Boone occurred at the time the famous John Swift and his associates were mining silver from several mines in at least two different locations in what would later become the state of Kentucky. Swift definitely lived on the Yadkin River, North Carolina, also, and every year for nearly 10 years, he came out of Kentucky with pack mules loaded with counterfeit English crowns, uh, silver dollar-sized coins, and also bars made from the considerable amount of silver he was mining and smelting. Now, if you see um, picture number nine, You'll see a famous painting of Boone leading a, a party of family and friends into uh, Kentucky from North Carolina through Pound Gap. And in pictures 10, 11, and 12, you will see Pound Gap as it looks today. Now, Swift was arrested and about this time in North Carolina for counterfeiting and it's very likely that either uh, or both Daniel Boone and John Finley were at this trial and saw the counterfeit English crowns that were presented as evidence against Swift. Uh, if you can uh, look at picture 14 you'll see a picture of these crowns. They were actually uh, undated. I erroneously thought they had a date of 1769, but uh, later research showed me that the coins were not, they did not have dates on them at this time. So that's one of the reasons why Swift picked this coin probably to counterfeit. Um, anyway, getting back to the trial, and by the way, a... a um, mule could carry 200 pounds of these coins or bars so Daniel Boone almost certainly was exposed to Swift's silver Saul because the trial ended in Swift's favor simply because the English crowns he was making had more silver and content in them than those minted by the English government. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Grab a drink of water here. Since uh, Swift's coins were actually more valuable than a genuine crown, the motive of intent to defraud by counterfeiting could not be proven, and Swift was found not guilty. Now, I have observed that when possible fortunes in gold or silver occurring in nature or from uncovering hidden treasure caches of those metals are at stake, that it can drive normally honest men to do things like stealing and work as they become psychologically afflicted 
with the obsession men commonly call gold fever. Its sudden onset has often caught many a good man by surprise throughout history and turned that good man into a crook. It's my personal belief that the possibility of finding rich veins of silver in Kentucky was largely what motivated Daniel Boone and John Finley to come to Kentucky. I don't think it was for the land, originally. The Yakin River country in North Carolina is good farming country, and the Smokies would have provided abundant hunting there. So something a lot more than just a motive of exploring new territory peopled by hostile Indians motivated Boone and Finley to leave the relative comfort and safety of North Carolina and come to a largely unknown wilderness fraught with danger. And if indeed it was swift silver that was fueling Boone's and Finley's eagerness to come to Kentucky, then they would have kept their true mission as secret as possible and would have used a cover story of exploring, hunting, trading, and claiming land as the reasons for their journey which would easily be believed. <clears throat> now, whether they were trying to locate Swift's mines and claim jump them, or just simply discover new deposits of silver in the same general area is anybody's guess. But one thing for sure, if they were not able to find a rich silver mine, or mines immediately on coming to Kentucky, then they would have soon been forced to use their cover story of claiming land and reselling it and trading with the Indians as a means to help support themselves. Now, if you will go back to picture number 13. Now, I'm just going to touch on John Swift here. There is a lot more coming in this series detailed information, maps, X marks the spot. I'm going to, after over 30 years of research and working the John Swift mines and the caches of silver coins that he buried, I'm going to release from my files all the information I have. There may still be caches of coins in the area. I think I've located another one. I found two of his coin cache sites but unfortunately someone had beat me to them. I found the empty hole and I found the uh, signs uh, carved uh, on, the, on the big beech trees just a short distance from the, from the holes. Uh, but I'll be covering all that, like I said, when we get into to John Swift's silver. Uh, I'm mentioning this now because I think it's a possible motive for why Daniel Boone really came to Kentucky. I believe that that, that was his first... Uh, intention and when they could not find the mines they turned then to other ways to make money since they'd gone to the expense of making this trip if you look at picture 13 this is the territory where the John Swift silver mines are I took this picture I'm standing on top of a mountain uh, you see a yellow arrow that's pointing a valley just behind the, the trees in front of you there there was a, a large silver bar plowed up by a farmer there I'm sure it was one of Swift's bars 
that fell out of a, a pack mule uh, pouch. Now, if you will go down to, uh, and I realize it's a big claim for anybody who knows how famous the John Swift silver mine stories are, that I would come along and say, hey, I found four of the mines. I know that's hard to believe, so I'm going to give you a little bit of proof uh, because I, as I joke, as I, I, I jokingly say to my friends, hey, I don't fire blanks. You know, if I load my gun, it's real bullets. So here we go. Picture number 16. I was standing down in a creek bottom in a very steep canyon between two high mountains, and I uh, took this picture of the entrance to a, one of Swift's mines right here. Did not know it was one of Swift's mines. Uh, we had to climb up to the opening and went inside. And if you look at picture number 17, you see the yellow arrow is pointing to the entrance to the cave. We're inside looking back out of the cave. Now you see that huge pile of rock there in front of you. Now look at picture number 18, and you can see that it's piles of, of, of stone. These are mine tailing piles. All of the rocks in the picture have jagged edges where they've been broken by hammers and picks. The cave itself, and you can see a little bit of it to your right there, the cave walls, the whole cave is rounded. It's a natural cave, but we found small holes in the floor that go down to a lower level. I do believe that somewhere under one of these piles of tailings, there is the entrance to one of Swift's mines. Uh, we cannot do any active work in there because it, it is, is in the Daniel Boone National Forest, and uh, we cannot legally uh, look for or mine the silver. Uh, all indications are that all of the mines still contain a lot of silver in them. Uh, Swift did not quit working the mines because they ran out of silver. He quit working the mines because they were fighting the Indians every time uh, they came out, brought, uh, they were attacked you know, frequently uh, and had to fight their way out when they tried to take the silver out. They would, they would uh, take a, a silver coins and bars they smelted. They would make one basically one trip a year and they did this for 10 years, and it was, Swift said it was wearing them down. But they just got to the point where, you know, they, they, they had taken out a huge amount of, of money. And uh, there's a, quite a story to these mines. Swift is not the original discoverer of the mines through prospecting. Uh, Swift was led to the mines by a Frenchman who was a prisoner taken during the French and Indian War that he befriended. And the mines were worked by the Shawnees before uh, they came along, and apparently the Shawnees may have been impressed into slavery to work in the mines by the Phoenicians when they were there mining silver for King Solomon. Hey, Dorian, right quick. Bill wanted to know if uh, you're familiar with the cave wars of the 1920s. I am not. Okay. You may get educated. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead now. All right. So, uh, anyway, Charles Maddox pointed out in his book that, that you know, Finley and 
and Boone found a hunter's paradise once they'd penetrated into Kentucky and they discovered the bluegrass meadows that were ideal for farming as well and Boone vowed that he would someday return with his family and it was a vow he would keep but that would come with a great price uh, that he would not have been willing to pay had he known what the future held. So from the Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The time that Boone, Finley, and company entered Kentucky in 1769 until 1775, they don't show up much on the historical radar screen. And this, to me, is another indication that they were deliberately keeping a low profile. It also appears that James Herod, the founder of Harrodsburg, which, you know, at the worst of the Indian War period, we saw that there were only two major uh, settlements left in Kentucky that were, uh, that were surviving, and that was Boonesboro and Harrodsburg. So James Herod, the founder of Harrodsburg, also spent much time looking for swift mines. And there are stories persisting that he did not die as common history says he did but rather he was struck by lightning and killed while out looking for Swift's mines and I tend to think that that's probably the truth uh, of how he actually died and that they uh, did not want the public to know that he'd been out looking for silver uh, anyway um 1775 history records that Daniel Boone and 30 other woodsmen were hired to improve the buffalo and warrior trails that passed for roads from North Carolina into central Kentucky and who hired them is not mentioned but it would almost certainly have been wealthy men wanting to engage in land speculation on the new frontier so the results of their efforts became what was called the Wilderness Road, and parts of that can still be seen today in places where they've been protected from modern development. I think there's a, there's a Wilderness Road State Park in Kentucky that preserves a portion of that, that road that Boone and his friends made. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so after finishing their work on the Wilderness Road, Daniel Boone went back to North Carolina to get his family in return. And on this trip back to Kentucky with his family, the first installment of that too high price I mentioned came due. His party, which included others wanting a piece of the action on the new frontier, was attacked by hostiles. Some accounts say that his oldest son, James, was shot and killed in the attack and others say that he was wounded and captured and then tortured to death by the Shawnees I can't prove it but personally I lean towards the latter I think he was captured and tortured to death either way though 
this was only the down payment on the life debt that would be exacted upon the frontiersman and his family before he left Kentucky in his old age for good. Much more loss will follow as we're going to see. Uh, we did see as we ended up series one that he lost his son Israel at the Battle of Lower Blue Licks. But he's still got other, other things to lose too. Uh, Boone's grief was intense at this tragic loss of his firstborn son and he brought the surviving members of his family and his friends and his party uh, on into central Kentucky to where he'd already built the stockaded settlement that we all know as Boonesboro in preparation for their arrival Hang on just a second and see where we can wrap this up. Okay, just to cover a little bit more here, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Boone worked uh, as a surveyor along the Ohio River after the Revolutionary War, and for a time he lived in what is now Kanawha County, West Virginia. Uh, this is near Charleston. I uh, grew up in Kanawha County and graduated from high school, a little town of St. Albans there in that county. Anyway, when Kentucky became a state in 1792, it gave the lawyers and land speculators golden opportunities to challenge many of the settlers' claims to their lands. See, this is what I was talking about. These greedy and heartless individuals were studied. That is, you know, they were well-versed in how to twist and use the laws and the court system to their advantage. They were studied and ruthless in all their use of legal technicalities and, of course, bribed judges to cheat many of the settlers and pioneers out of most or all of their claim land. Daniel Boone, with his lack of formal education and unsophisticated ways, proved to be an easy victim for them, and he lost all of his Kentucky claim land to their chicanery in the courts. Ultimately, Boone would become so disgusted with the new state's government and the crowded conditions caused by the continually growing influx of new settlers that he'd leave Kentucky for good and never return again while he was still alive. But anyway, before that occurs, we have a few more of his adventures to examine. So I think we've reached a good stopping place there, and uh, this will conclude part one. Let's see here. We got a few more pictures. Okay, judging because of the time, we'll say pictures 19 through 22, and I'll put them in the next batch of supplemental photos uh, when we do part two. All right. So we have officially inaugurated the new series. How did that happen so quick tonight, the two hours or so? 
it just it just screamed by. You know, I'm glad you said that because I thought it did too, uh, and that usually happens when something passes that fast. When you're listening to you know somebody telling a story, it's usually because you're really captivated by the by the material. Or drawn uh, in. That that's a good term for it. You're drawn into the story. Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. You know, I mean, I, I'm so uh, I just feel like that. Quite frankly, this is one of the most important podcasts we've ever done because of what I covered. Uh, yeah. You know, and I and, and I want our historical militia. I want you to start looking at present day circumstances uh, and see. Find the parallels. Look and see, and remember sayings like "the more things change, the more they stay the same." There's there's usually a golden nugget of truth in those sayings, and and so it is, you know. So um, we're we're on the way. You know, we've been a prosperous nation. We've got lazy. We've got apathetic, and we've let other people who did not have the ideals that our founding fathers did come in here and start telling us that we're that they're going to make changes and that we have to accept them and that if we don't they're going to hang a label on us you know that they're going to hang a label uh, we're going to get it's going to get to the point where if this keeps going now I'm just saying that if this process if we the sheep we the sheeple we the people What's the difference? If we don't stand up and say enough's enough, you know, don't go down that road any farther, then we're going to lose our right of free speech. Rights not, you know, rights not protected, rights not fought for, go away. It's just that simple. And uh, dissent will become illegal. And, and you know, we, we've just... Folks, this uh, this train's a runaway, and if we don't put the brakes on, it's gonna it's gonna leave the tracks. I, w- I would submit, Dorian, that, that uh, we've already started. Uh, they are right now limiting. You know, it's it's um, they have limited our freedom of speech through the use of the giant techno uh, businesses such as Facebook and Twitter. and They're shutting down free speech. Uh, they they declare what occurred up in Washington, D.C. I don't necessarily agree with some of the things I hear, but I don't trust a source that told me what they're saying occurred up there. You know, I, I don't know how much of it's right, how much of it's wrong, but uh, I'm a strong proponent of, of free speech. And... and um, you know, I have no issue from what I have seen with Oath Keepers, for instance, who is now they're trying to make them a pariah group and, and constitutionalists, and, and they're trying to make them a pariah. So it's already uh, in process, and, and that's the way, uh, if you're conservative and or, and or religious, uh, they're going to be coming for your rights, and, and that's what they're going to do. And my answer uh, is walk softly and speak softly and when the time comes for you to do something you do it take care of business and go on down the road even in nazi germany years ago there was resistance to, to what 
the parallel that occurred back then that is possibly going to happen now. So, you know, it's um, we'll see how how it shakes out. I agree. We need men and women to stand up. I will certainly stand up and have my say, but I'll, I'll do so gently. You know, for now, we'll see. Well, you, know, you know, Dennis, uh, I a history detective spots clues and sees things that don't fit. And the first thing that I saw, again, I'm speaking from a, a neutral, apolitical position. Uh, you know, I'm not defending uh, Trump. I'm not condemning Biden. But I, okay. I, I'm, I'm, spe- I'm speaking to what I saw and observed. And I saw the focus has been on videos that show uh, these people breaking into the Capitol and, you know, committing crimes. It's a- absolutely a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think any any conservative person is going to support that kind of behavior. I agree. But what they've not pointed out, what they have deftly avoided mentioning, is that there were a half a million people there. Yeah. And they've yeah. arrested one hundred only. And they're yeah. trying to say that you know all of these people were involved in an insurrection, and, it's and just they not- were not. No, I, I looked at the pictures and the video, and they're all standing around peacefully. You know, so if we're going to report, see, my point is, sure, okay, go ahead and report on the hundred bad guys that broke into the Capitol, whatever, but also report that the vast, vast majority of that crowd was well behaved. They came, they demonstrated, they left Washington D.C. without leaving a trail of wreckage. Yep, I agree. And, and, that, and yes. in See, conjunction with that, though, there were there were some of those. I, I'm not convinced, just on a personal note, that those people were necessarily who they represent them to be. They there may have been some that were uh, uh, right wing extremists or whatever, but it could have very easily. I've heard a lot of tales uh, coming out of there that that there was some. Uh, Antifa and there were some uh, BLM folks in the group and, and very possible but but regardless you know who do we serve I know who you serve I serve that same master and uh, yeah. I, I do not serve a government and you know what the, the lesson the history lesson I would like our listening audience to learn from that is stay out of those crowds Amen. because it only takes a few who have been planted to stir up emotions in, in people yep. and su- suddenly things get out of hand and you may find yourself being trampled, being shot or being, being arrested. Uh, you know, having your face pushed down into the concrete or the grass and zip ties put on your hands and feet and you're facing federal felony charges even though you didn't do anything except be there You're right. it's, it's, it's like the guy that sits in the car while his buddies rob, rob the bank he gets charged right along with the guys that went into the bank. You know, the the legal term for that is called one hand, all hands. And that's exactly what you just said. If, if you're in on a murder scene, if you're driving a car, you're all hands. Whoever was there for the murder driving, whether they participated or not, at least here in Texas, and I'm sure it's the same way in uh, reasonable thinking uh, states across the, the country, uh, if if you're in on it, then you're guilty of murder one, or whatever level it is. So, yeah. anyway, brother, we will continue on next week with our story. What do you think? 
Okay, one one last little comment here. All right. The patriot who gives his life for his country honors his country with his sacrifice. But the patriot who survives to fight another day can go on to honor his country by serving it for many years to come. Absolutely. Well stated. Yeah, so don't be in a hurry to be a martyr because we might need you next year, the year after that, and the decade after that. I agree. Okay, well, anyway, you know, see, the, the whole point whole point of studying, studying history is to... Uh, is to learn from it, you know, and see how these cycles of history repeat themselves. Yes, sir. All right, Dennis. Uh, thank you, sir, for your able assistance and, and companionship tonight. And, uh, you know. All right. Dennis? Dennis? What? If, yes. If you would so like. We are. Uh, if you can make it back up here, I will take you down and give you a personal tour of John Swift country. And maybe we can find that one, that last cache. If somebody hadn't beat me to that one, I think I know about where it is. Well, I, I, you betcha. I'm all down for that. And next time I come, I'm bringing an inflatable raft just in case we get that four feet of water over your creek. We can at least go down <laughs> creek ways. <laughs> all right, brother. Folks, good night. Thank you all once again. Dorian, say bye to everybody. Bye to everybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll see y'all next week. Take care. Yep. And we're off. Okay. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.